Hello and welcome to Springboard Adventure University. My name is Albert Okran, matriculating you into Ghana's foremost developmental program running since 2008. As we matriculate you today, we promise you an exciting learning adventure, exploring the thoughts of my guest for today. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank, with our partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. So today we stay in my top 10, exploring the five life lessons of my guest and their five prescriptions for the ideal Ghana. My guest for today is somebody you definitely love, an actress, a lecturer, a fitness freak, <laughs> that's what I know for sure, and wearing several other hats, including being a broadcaster. Which of them is her favorite? I'll find out from my guest, the one and only Na Ashoko Meisadoku. Na Ashoko, thanks for coming. Thank you, Alves. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Which of the things you do gives you the most fulfillment? The most fulfillment? Um, one of the things you didn't mention, which is um, not something I do officially, but I like to teach, and I don't mean in the classroom. Um, I like to offer myself. Um, I like to share the very little knowledge that I have gathered over the years with people of the next generation. So I talk to young people a lot. Um, I go to universities. I offer mentorship of a sort to um, folks in media school, journalism school, communication school, and just people who are interested in media and the arts. Springboard has been doing this for the past 15 years, and I can tell you that it's, it's unbelievable how much impact what you will consider an ordinary interaction with people has. Because very often you don't see the results immediately, but you mm -hmm. meet them so many years after they tell you, you're like, oh, that was, that, that day I wasn't even feeling too yeah, well. That was I mean, just a passing conversation. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, feel you just did something small, but yeah. then they tell you with great detail how much it's changed their lives, and it can be very fulfilling. And that is your favorite. Yeah, well, not my favorite, but, but the one, one that thing that gives me the most fulfillment. The most fulfillment. I'll say my favorite is acting. Um, Why? Why? Let me see. Well, acting gives you the opportunity to live many realities that you otherwise might not get the opportunity to live or understand. When you act, you forget who you are for a moment and become somebody else, a totally different woman who feels and experiences things differently from the way that you do. You become someone who has felt a certain kind of pain, a certain kind of joy, a certain kind of excitement than you have in your actual life. And getting the opportunity to live all these many characters kind of opens your eyes to the many experiences that people have. And so it, it shapes your mind and your thinking in dealing with people. Because ordinarily you wouldn't know that, okay, well, someone tells you something, oh, I'm going through this and that. You listen and you understand just from a listener's point of view. But as an actor, you feel these things. Do you, do you, so, do you miss us all that much? Oh, yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm losing it. Because for the period of the acting, especially with stage, because with stage, you rehearse for a long time, and then you act for about two days, and that's it. So during the period of rehearsal, you sort of become this other person. Really? Sometimes you might even take on an accent, 
or uh, a certain swag in your step or something or even the way she dresses or the way she thinks or the way she feels. Um, I'll use the stage play that I've recently done as an example, um, Five Hours with Mario. I was going to ask you about that. That's the ah. one I'm most interested in <laughs> for, for very unique reasons. Oh, for very unique? Well, I, I guess I'll soon find out. Is it easier to act a play that reflects your persona or one that takes you into something that you are not, you're completely not? I mean, I'm just thinking of how much the character draws from you because Five Hours with Mario looks like a, a very deep, demanding yeah. role. It is very deep and very demanding. Is it easier to act a persona that seems like myself? No, I don't think so. Really? I think it's, it's harder because then you don't know what you're doing. If, it's, if the character is just like you, it's difficult because then you're, you're not sure whether you're acting or you're not sure what to do. It's even difficult for the director to direct you. Wow. Because then they don't know what to do with you. And it's difficult to say, just do it. It's difficult. It's harder. But when you have to study a character and be them, it requires you to, it makes you a little, a bit, a bit more professional. Because now you have to study this person. You have to think the way they think. How does she hold her pen? How would she walk? Is she a morning person? Does she have friends? Is she stylish? And do all these details come from the director, the writer, or you, you add on? I like to add on. Right. Usually before you meet the director, you will read the script. And as you read it, you would imagine this person. In your mind's eye, you will create this person. And sometimes you would even see the person as someone you know. Wow. You would immediately, you know, kind of draw a link between this character and someone you have met. And then the you know, the person's character traits, you may borrow from there, and then you will create this whole person in your mind. So by the time you meet the director, you sort of already have an idea what this person should be. And most directors would let you do it first. And then they would say, okay, why don't we do it this way or do it that way? So the requirement of figuring out this new person. So I play a widow in five hours with Mario, okay? A widow who has been married 20 years, to a man she absolutely loves with all her heart, but she hates every single thing about this man. Like she loves him, she lo like I'm in love with my husband, but everything he does upsets me. She doesn't like the way he eats, the way he talks, his job, the way he dresses, the way he, he snores, she just hates everything. But her heart is with this man, like that's the man she loves. If she could do it again, she'd marry him again. Wow. But she has nothing pleasant to say about him. Now, this is difficult because, I, first of all, I couldn't even figure it out. Okay. And it's a one-woman one play. And it's a one-woman play. Normally, when there are other characters on stage, you draw from each other. But for this play, the director told me from day one, it is an actor's play. I have very little to do. I can't tell you what to do. So figure it out and come and show it to me. Wow. So, goodness. I had to immerse, triple immerse myself. I mean... And luckily for me, my husband was out of town at the time. He had traveled for two months. So the house, I had, I turned everything upside down. I mean, I was like a crazy person in my house. I recorded a whole script on audio and I was playing it at home every day. So that's, it was just playing in my house. Even my son started, you know, learning the lines because, you know, I had started playing it. I was trying to cry all the time. I was so sad. I was, I was so sad. <laughs> like, 
throughout. Like, well, I'm just so, so sad. Even as you describe it, I'm just saying, even in the description, so you're still quite immersed. Yeah. I really, I, I think I lost myself a little bit in there because, I mean, you know, and immediately when the play starts, I forget, I, I just forget. I don't know how it happens, but I forget who I am. I'm totally, and I become this woman who's very devastated by the death of her husband. And at the wake-keeping ceremony, she tells everyone to leave. She sacks everybody. And she keeps wake alone with her dead husband in the living room of her house. And she for five the, hours. With the coffin. Yes, with the, the cops, actually, because there's someone in there. My goodness. <laughs> so she pours out her heart for, you know, five hours, but it's actually two hours. So, so. the one you acted on the, 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 the fairy? The Dodie Princess. Dodie Princess, yes. yes. Was that more difficult? Yes. I, I've done that trip a couple of times. I was thinking, okay, so without the benefit of a stage and the backdrop and all, everything, the, is it, is it, was it more difficult on the ferry? It was more difficult. In fact, when Latif said we were going to Dodi Princess, I said, Latif, I've never been on the Dodi Princess, but it's a ferry. First of all, where is the stage? He said there's no stage. There's just, they will just create a little riser. And I said, okay, so if I sit down, will the people at the back see me? They probably wouldn't. But sitting down also adds to the whole act. So I probably have to stand more than sit. So, okay, so if I have to stand, it means I have to vary a lot of the things so that it will make sense that I am standing while doing X, Y, and Z. Well, that's one. Two, where are the people going to be? I said, nah, they're going to be like this. So I'm here and they're there. I'm like, no, let's see if I can't. I'm a very shy person, you know. That's what they see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, ca I can't. I mean, I, I, I mean, as I'm sitting in front of you right now, it's just the two of us. I would love it if there were a thousand of you and just one of me. It's easier for me. Um, I don't know why. I'm still trying to figure that out. But I find that when I am acting, I like a larger audience and I would rather be far away from the stage. It helps me as an actor to, to live in the character's world because I can't really see you. I mean, you're there, all right. I know you're there, but I can't see your face. I don't know what your reactions are. And it's, it's not a, a comedy. I, I'm, not, I'm not playing to the gallery. I am acting. I'm, I'm being this person. It's like when you're watching a movie, the characters don't change in the movie based on how you are reacting to them. That's how it should be. So when you're so close and I can see looks of disapproval on your face or I can see you being very excited and there are some, a few comic lines in there, people laugh. When the laughter is far away, you can manage it. But when they're laughing into your face and you're trying to be sad, it can be difficult. Did you, right? did you train for this? No, I didn't. Is that what makes you good? Um, I think it's good to train. <laughs> so how do you find I think it's good to train. Do they call it an oxymoron or something like that? There's, there's something about the unpredictability, the, the something special about people who didn't do it a routine way, but you also need the, the technicalities to, to, to get it done right. How do you find that balance? Well, I think that because I didn't train, I, 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 I put in a little more effort because I work with people who trained. Okay. Um, the first time I was on stage was for a stage play called The Vagina Monologues. Um, I was the only one, well, it was Lydia Forsen and I, but I was the only one who hadn't gone to the University of Ghana. I was at GIG and everyone else was from the University of Ghana, most of them from the School of Performing Arts. So I knew that I was the odd one out. And Lydia had been doing some acting before me, and so she was already a pro. 
And so I knew that I had to bring like my A-game. I had to bring it. And so I was living and breathing the scripts. In fact, they got sick of me on stage, on set, because they thought that I had gone to chew everybody's lines and I was correcting people all over the place. Are you a very competitive so, person? I think I am. Because I watch you on social media doing your, <laughs> your fitness stuff and I see uh, you attempting some outrageous things. That's... Yeah, not outrageous. Tell me, tell me, what, what drives you to do what you do? <laughs> You mean fitness? Yes, the fitness part of it. Well, um, when I went to secondary school, I joined the cadet. And I think that's where I found my love for interesting fitness. So in the cadet, we go hiking and we don't use the main road. We have to find your own trail, you know. And I went to Benkum Secondary School at Latte Kiapim. So we were on the hill and we would hike down, go looking for waterfalls, which don't have names because you know, they are not even on the Comfort cadet. <laughs> comfort hiking, comfort waterfalls, uh, comfort Ikeapim hills. So I far, see. so good. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that is where I found my love for fitness. Because in the cadets, everyone is a boy, so to speak. And they would, they would ask all of us to do the same reps of push-ups. They would ask all of us to jump whatever. They would ask the all of us to do... that hill climbing. Yeah. Thing, some of those things are, I fear heights. Yeah. Oh. I have a morbid dread of heights. Tell you what. I'm afraid of heights too. Okay. Most of the time when I'm doing these things, I'm scared. I went skydiving, so you literally jump out of an airplane. And I was shaking like a German watch. Are you like, still I, yeah, because here's the thing nothing is going to happen. It's just a phobia. I am afraid, but my fear would not, it doesn't do anything other than make you scared and keep you from trying things. So I would tell you that I am afraid of heights, Are I have motion jump? sickness. I am aquaphobic. I went on an ocean cruise where we lived on the sea for seven days. But I am afraid of, like, I cannot, I, but I know nothing is going to happen. Like, when I was going, my husband kept saying, you are going to be vomiting the whole time. You know that, right? I said, yes, I know. That you're going to be sick the whole time, right? I said, yes, I know. He said, okay, all the best. And nothing happened. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So... Yeah, phobias are good. That's, that's, what, that's what's kept us alive this long because you're afraid of fire so you wouldn't jump into it. But the truth is, nothing is going to happen. These phobias are sometimes just in our minds. So while I am afraid of heights, I mean, when I was jumping out of that airplane, I don't know, I was scared out of my, my mind. But I jumped anyway. Wow. And nothing happened. Eventually, I opened my eyes. I had closed my eyes the whole time. But eventually, I opened my eyes and I saw, whoa, what a beautiful world. I'm so, I was so glad I did this eventually. So, so try. I, 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 I've <laughs> climbed Afajatu and done a few things that involve heights. Afajatu is steep. But I've climbed it. Good. I climbed Krubu Mountains. Nice. So I, I, I fear, but I still climb. You see? Yes. So I, I will agree with you on that. But actually, jumping out of the airplane, I'll have to fast and pray for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I prayed. I can imagine that. <laughs> I, I can imagine that. And you know, before you jump, they do a video of you, so you say something to your family. Just in case. Just in case. Oh, no. Like, they make you do a video. That's cool. Like, so, they make you do a video. So, you mention your name, you say what you're about to do, and then a message for your family. They don't tell you it's just in case. But, but when you, it's you are, over, you, are mindful. you realize, yo, that video was supposed to be my final message or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What, what kind of person are you? Oh, that's, Are you happy? Yeah, I usually am. Um, I think someone asked me this question recently. He said, now how are you doing? And I was really grateful for the question because people don't really ask this question often. And when I thought about it, I thought, well, 
most of the time I'm happy. I'm grateful for the kind of life that I have, you know. I'm grateful for the opportunities I have. I'm grateful for the people in my life. Um, when I count my blessings, I'm so grateful for the people in my life. I think I have come this far because of the quality of people God has put in my life. I also think that I have the grace of God on my life. And it's something I don't take for granted at all. Tell me about that. I realized it very early in my life. Um, I think in JHS, somebody, somebody came to talk to us during Wednesday worship and the person said that um, when we are saying the, is it the, the Lord's Prayer or Psalm 23? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life yeah, and I'll dwell in the house of the yeah. Lord. He said, if you have two friends, name one goodness and name the other mercy uh, and let them follow you all the days of your life. Wow. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That drew my attention to the importance of grace, you know, goodness and mercy. And, you know, I realized as I grew up, that I, I was constantly looking for it. I was looking for grace. I was looking for the grace of God. I would, I, when I prayed, I would say, I pray for grace in the eyes of men and pray for grace in the eyes of God. And I think that that constant prayer and constantly seeking it somehow must have materialized because I have problems. But I also realized that the problems I have are problems that I am constantly able to deal with once I pray and I, I commit to you know solving them and getting them out of the way things work out um, I always tell my sisters this I am constantly saying that you need to pray for the grace of God because it's sufficient for all of us but you have to ask for it you don't just assume that oh you know the grace of God is upon me yeah the grace of God is upon you but you have to ask for it and you have to be very specific in your asking like no. if you want it this way you have to ask for it this way. People think that asking for specific things is a little vain. Like, let's, let's, say, let's say you want a husband, right? And you're asking for a dark, handsome man with a broad chest. Nothing vain about that. Tell me, did you ask for that? It's specific. Did you pray specifically when you were, you were trusting God for a husband? No, I didn't. But also, among other things, it was because my husband was in my life already. He, okay. he, he came into my life very naturally. I wasn't looking for a husband or a boyfriend at the time. But, you know, I talk to some of my friends now who are looking and they feel that so people have all these jokes about when you are in your 30s, you need to humble yourself or reduce expectations and, you know, things like, like, no, you can be very specific about what you want. And, you know, God is not some mediocre person who is not sure he can give you everything you want. He can actually give you everything you want. If you ask, you have not because you ask not. Mm. It's actually in the Bible. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And I always underline everything when I, when I read the scripture. Pray about everything. Everything means detail. And for me, one of the most important things I pray for is grace. Before men. And before God. Because it's one thing that opens doors for you, creates opportunities for you, and makes, it makes things happen for you. This is Springboard, your virtual university, my guest for today, Nashoko, helping us to unpack the story of her life. And we've not even finished scratching the surface, but the lessons are beginning to emerge. My, my first lessons from Nashoko, the first one is about immersion. 
putting herself into what she does. And it shows even what she's talking about it now, that she really gets herself into what she does. And I love that one. The second one is about phobias. The things you fear, don't fear them. You, you won't die. Just jump. But give your last message to your family before you jump. <laughs> That's the lesson for that one. The third one is about gratitude and grace. I like it. I actually like it, the way you put it. Um, grateful for your life and the people in your life. And then also appreciating the fact that you have grace upon your life. And, and you always pray for grace with God and with men. And it's, it's, it's biblical, actually. The fourth lesson I'm learning from you is about specificity. That you have to be specific about what you want. When you pray, be specific, and there's nothing vain about it. Nope. Does this, does the same principle apply to other choices in life, apart from the things you go to God to ask for? Does this same quest for specificity apply to other choices in life? I think so, Albert. Help me to appreciate it. Say you're going for a job interview. You know, your employer has a list of things that they intend to give you. But you go for your interview, you nail the interview, you ask for specific things. People assume that, you know, we're over here, they just give health insurance to one person. But your colleague went for the interview and asked for health insurance for him and his children and his wife and his mother. He will get it. He might get it. You don't have it because you didn't ask for it. Mm. You know, it, 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 it applies in all things, really. When you specifically ask for specific things, and don't just be vague about it, like just passive, like, oh, me, I'm cool or anything. No. If you, if you ask for anything, you will get anything. But if you ask specifically for what you want, the probability that you will get them are higher than when you just say, oh, anything, anything goes. Um, I think it's a Ghanaian thing, maybe. I think that's how we were raised. Or maybe that's how I was raised, to be um, okay with most things. Unlike other people I have encountered from other countries, even like Nigerians, they're very specific. They will ask you for what they want and more. And insist. And insist and act like if they don't get it well, then I'm sorry. You know? I, I, I love them. I, I, yeah. I have, I have lots of friends. And I've, I've, learned a lot, I've learned a lot from interacting with them. They, they like us too. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. And they like our country. Yeah. Now, growing up, did you want to do what you're doing now? Oh, growing up, I was a confused young woman. I just knew that I wanted to do great things, but I wasn't sure what. My mother always called me first lady, and I always told her, Ma, don't call me the first lady because I want to be the president. And, <laughs> and she'd be like, no, but you're, you're a woman, so you'd be the, you should be the first lady. And I'll say, so my destiny de depends on who I marry. So, if, if, so I must marry somebody to, to be what you want me to be. And she'd say... Well, you know, it wasn't like a serious argument, but it was something we always said. We, we always talked about at home when she saw me do something. Because I, I did a lot of um, student leadership and student events in school. And my parents, my entire family will come and sit down and watch me. And after the event, my mother will come and she'll be calling me first lady. And I'll always say, don't call me that. Are you politically very active? I used to be as a, as a child, well, as, as a student. Um, I was the SRC vice president of the... I think that, uh, so I was a vice president of my school SRC, and then I was the general secretary for, the, for my zone for the Eastern Regional SRC. Um, when you were at Bengkum? Yes, when I was at Bengkum Secondary School. And I, I often led my school team for school debates, which we won a bunch of times. 
and stuff like that. This was in secondary school. In JHS, I was a little more timid. Um, I think I was, I was buried in my books most of the time. I went to the same JHS with my sister, who was an A student. I wasn't an A student. So, you know, my sister was always doing so well in school. I, on the other hand, I wasn't, I wasn't so great, you know, but I liked to read. So I was always buried in my storybooks. And the only, the only opportunity to show that I knew something too was to tell my friends the stories in the books. So during break time, I would call some of my friends and they would sit down and I'll tell them the full story. What happened in this Goosebumps? What happened in the Sweet Valley High? And, you know, trade storybooks. I'll always go to the APP bookshop, the one at Labadi. And my dad used to take me and he'll buy me books and I'll come home and read. Eager to tell my, my friends. I don't know if you ever read Harry Potter. But when Harry Potter came out, it was a big book. Yes. Well, for, for, for my age then, it was a very big book. But I would stay up all night so I can finish the full book so that I can tell my friends a story in school. Reading books, telling stories, fast track or fast forward. Are you living a life that is an amalgamation of all these experiences that you didn't probably value when you were younger? I think so, Albert. You know, who we are is a combination of all our experiences and the things that have happened to us and the things we have experienced. Um, I was driving home about two years ago when a classmate of mine, Alomaso, from JHS called me and said he was reading an article about me online. And he said, you know, I just wanted to call you and tell you that I always knew you'd be this person because back in JSS, you were always trying to tell us stories and you were always speaking all kinds of English. And I thought, wait a minute, that's true. I used to tell you guys stories. I used to read all these books and, and come and like brag about how I finished reading this book. And honestly, at that time, I didn't think much of it because, I mean, my friends were really bright students. I mean, I went to Dara's Preparatory School in, J in, in Teshi. At that time, it was a community school, but the brighter students went to Dara's school. And my mother made sure we went there. That the brighter students went there. I mean, all my classmates are like all kinds of important people right now. Like you. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> so at that time, I really didn't think much of what I was doing. It was just my little contribution to the fa fantastic um, lives that my, my friends had. But you're enjoying what you're doing. Oh, I am. So would you tell the person who is not too sure, if I borrow your words, you grew up confused which will be the story of many people, young ladies, young men, desirous to do something great, being called first lady or, or president by your parents, <laughs> but not, not too sure what they want to do, and then not too sure even whether the things you are reading and the things you are, stories you are telling has any relevance to your career. Looking back now, what would you tell somebody who's at that space um, that you were at several years ago? Well, <laughs> I, I think that um, greatness comes from confusion. Mm. Because when you are confused, then you don't know. And when you don't know, you will try. You will try to figure it out. You will learn all kinds of things. You will explore. And when you explore, that is where you open your mind and your eyes and your world to all the greatness that can be. When you are sure, you probably just tow the line that you are sure of. And when you are towing one line, you don't learn so much. You don't explore. You only learn what you are sure that you should be learning. 
What if that does not work out? You'll probably be left with nothing. You know what? This is beautiful. Springboard, your virtual university. I'm hanging out with Nasha because she's telling me some very interesting things, including the fact that greatness comes from confusion. Listen, if you are confused, that, that's greatness right there. When I come back from this break, we'll find out from Nashoko. This our Ghana that we are in it, as opposed to the Ghana that we are in it. What would her ideal Ghana look like? Probably every, every child should have storybooks so they can read and tell stories. So let's go for a break. And when we come back, let's find out about Nashoko's ideal Ghana. Please don't go away. Kojo Korea. I tried the Billy Goat. No, fully the same school time. I am sending you this WhatsApp audio because you are the group admin. Did I not sit in the same class with you? As them. It took the group more than three months to contribute only a thousand CDs for me. When it took just one week to contribute the same amount for Nana. Why? Looking faces. A situation like this can be avoided. Sign on to Alumni by Enterprise Life. Designed for members of all students' associations. You decide a fixed amount that covers the lives of members their spouses and two adult relations say bye-bye to unequal welfare contributions with alumni by enterprise life it's possible charlie call daniel on 0246-373653 or karen on 050-162-7361 dream big with us enterprise your advantage <laughs> when you can be anything who will you become when you can go anywhere and never feel alone, how far will you go? When you have the means to make your dreams real, when will you start? When your voice can reach every ear, who will you inspire? When your money can travel faster and further than you ever could, where will you send it? When you can tell a story in every language, which ones will you tell? When nothing can stop you, and everyone's behind you, and, and the, the whole, whole world, world awaits, awaits you. Don't go alone. Go with us. Everywhere, Everywhere you, you go. Aquaba, UMB is proud to offer you the best business solutions possible. We have been excelling in serving Ghana since 1972, and our sole interest is to make your business succeed. We are committed to making you to become number one in any sphere of business or enterprise you are pursuing. With our experience in growing some of the biggest SMEs in Ghana, we can support you become the business leader in Okaishi, Suami, Abusokai, or any of the SME enclaves in Ghana with our SME solutions. Our latest SME loans allows you to take a loan backed by the value of your cash flow and inventory so you can increase your trade efficiently. Speak to our business bankers or visit any of our branches now. UMB Bank. You first. Welcome back to Springboard of Virtual University, Ghana's foremost developmental program running since 2008. My guest for today, Nash Shoko, helping us to appreciate the story of her life and the learnings. I've learned so far about immersion, about phobias, about gratitude and grace, about being specific. And, and the last one, one of my favorites, greatness comes from confusion. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by NTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, with support from our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Business. On Tuesday, 
in the graphic business, actually on page 18, the full story of Nashoko, unpacked for your learning and for your sharing with your friends and loved ones. And nice, nice on stage on Valentine's Day in Tema. So for all our friends, family, loved ones within 100 kilometers of Tema, go to Zoe Temple Community 5. What time is it? I know it's in the evening. Yes, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. for the play Run for Your Wife. Your wife. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. I mean, <laughs> George <you>. Quay. <laughs> Charlie, oh my goodness. Thank you. That's Thank a you so very much. nice play. Thank you so very, much. Very, very nice. I promise you, you will laugh and you will learn. And that's a nice combination, laughing and learning. Yes. So that's it. Valentine's Day at Tema, ICGC Zoe Temple. My friend, Reverend Kujas Amwasari, is hosting the, the crew uh, for run for your wife and you want to spend your Valentine's Day with your friends, family, loved ones in Tema watching run for your wife. The last time you finished acting that play, I came back to tell you how, yes, how you much did. I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. And, and, it was and very nice of you. When, when you finish, when you finish like that, like that how, how does it feel? <gasps> Someone from Latif's team told me that after five hours with Maria at the conference center, he was looking at me when the, the last show ended, and as soon as I finished the bow and lifted my head up, he saw that I had breathed a sign of a sigh of relief, and it was so obvious. I was like, <sighs> and he, you know, he keeps talking about it. That now you did something at the end of the play, which made me realize how much, like how happy you were that you had finished executing. And I said, you know what? After every play, it happens. Sometimes it doesn't show on the outside; it's just on the inside. But I feel like. Thank God. It's done. Yeah, thank God. If, 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 if it, I'm sure when it goes well, that feeling is even bigger. Yes. And the thing is, I don't have a choice, really. It has to go well. Yeah. There's, there's no, you know, it's, when the stage is live, you can't do it again. So you don't have a choice. Hence the emotion. Yeah, you, you, have to, you have to kill it. Let, let, that first There's something else you have to kill. <laughs> Not literally kill, but this segment, I want, to, I want to explore your thoughts about the ideal Ghana. Do, do you love this country? <sighs> I love Ghana. I sometimes say I cannot live, I cannot be outside Ghana for more than a month. I, I know that I would have to at some point in my life, but it's a very difficult thing for me. After three weeks, I want to come back home. Let's explore five of them. What would be number one? Your first prescription for the ideal Ghana. Well, I first like to say that my ideal Ghana has more to do with the people. Mm -hmm. Because I think that when people change, things change. It's more individual. I mean, you can have the most fantastic policies, but if the mindsets of the people are where they are, the probability that these policies will be successful are very, you know, slim. Um, one of the biggest things that I have come to realize as a woman and as a mother is that our care for mothers, maternity-related matters, needs a lot of attention in this country. Um, I have come to realize since becoming a mother that a lot of the struggles that young people have is because of the struggles that their mothers have had. Mm. And a lot of struggles that marriages have is because of the struggles that the woman has had. Um, you would agree with me that the early years of our lives shape to a large extent who we become as adults. And a lot of broken adults are because, or could be because they had very difficult early years. And when a child is struggling in the first 
five years of their life, it's probably because their mother is not okay or is not present, cannot be there. Since becoming a mother, I realized a couple of things. Um, pregnancy is no joke. It's difficult. We don't take it seriously in this country. Um, the care that the, the attention that the maternity wards in this country get, it's not good enough. In the course of doing our work with the Mental Health Authority in my, in my, in my life as a pastor in ICGC, we do a lot of work with Mental Health Authority, and I found out the percentage of mental health issues that derive from postpartum experiences. Oh, so yes. It was quite shocking and revealing for me. So I can relate to what you're saying very much. Mental health postpartum is a very delicate thing. And I think as a country, we have not given it enough attention. I see individuals and private people trying to talk about it, but as a collective, as a country, I don't think we have done enough. The least we can do is have nurseries at the workplace, and it should be compulsory. When you, when you employ human beings of childbearing age, and I mean men and women, you should be able to make provision for it. I know it will be difficult for small companies and entrepreneurs here and there, but we have multinationals and big banks and big organizations which could, who couldn't give a damn. And they, so expe and they, and they expect you know, that you, you show up and then they expect the child to be all right. A lot of these children are not all right. The children we are raising now, we need to worry about them because it is what we invest in them now that will determine the kind of adults they become in future. And if we are raising children who have absentee parents, that's not good because those children are going to grow up thinking that, first of all, that's how it should be. Secondly, they are exposed to pretty much everything they read on the internet and everything they watch on TV, and that's where they're going to be learning from, or what the nanny says, or what the driver says, or what their friends say. We had our parents taking care of us. And even us, well, we turned out quite all right, but we could be better. Now, the next generation of children we are raising, we are all ambitious, and that's nice. But with all of that ambition, I think that as a country, we need to be able to make allowance for our children to still have their parents somehow take care of them. I don't have the solutions. But I think at least having a nursery just, just, just a nursery. Would you also like a revision of the three-month maternity? Oh. You mentioned, you mentioned that in, yes. in the course of your presentation. I think so. So adjust the maternity time. Adjust it. And then also make nurseries compulsory adjust the maternity some size time. of firm. Exactly. Adjust ma the maternity leave period. Grant paternity leave as well. All right. Because the men also need it. I don't know why we assume that. Well, I guess it's a natural assumption because the, the child comes from the woman. But then... It takes a toll on the father too. Most fathers, by the time the baby comes, are tired. They are drained financially, physically, and mentally. Because even though they are not carrying the baby, they are taking care of the woman who's carrying the baby. They are present, even when they are not married to the, the person. I mean, I'm talking about all things equal. They are present, you know. They are the ones outside the waiting room praying. They are the ones inside the, the theater holding the woman's hand. The, the mental struggle that a man goes through, I haven't gone through it, I'm not a man, but I have seen my husband go through it. I have seen men go through it. And oftentimes women don't even regard it as anything because I am the one who birthed the baby. Do you know, you can't compare what I've been through to what you've been through. That's how we feel.
But the truth is, men also deal with it. And the men, then the men, the men would love you for this. <laughs> So that's, they're expected to come back to work and make decisions at work as if nothing is happening in their lives. So that's number one. That's number one for me. We need two. to take a little more care of our women, okay. mental health issues and such. Number two, as a people generally, I think we need to learn to be a little more present. Let me explain. A lot of us try to, you know, balance things. We like to balance things in this country. They say we are all managers. We like to manage. People are at work, and they're constantly talking about home. I don't know if you realize it. Yeah. People are at work, and they're constantly talking about home. Talking about what's happening in the home, or what to have for dinner, or talking to the teacher, or to talking about home. People are at home and constantly talking about work, and talking about what happened at work, and what do you think about this decision I'm about to make, and can you help me with this PowerPoint presentation? And you spend the whole time at home talking about work. Spend the whole time at work talking about home. And why, while you're at home, or while we're at home, we should learn to have family time. You know, the fact that your wife knows more about marketing than you do doesn't mean you should come and bed in the home conversation with marketing-related matters. When you're at home, can you please talk about your hair and how you're feeling and, how the, and, and what you want to eat tomorrow? And how the children are doing. And not PowerPoint. And not PowerPoint presentations. <laughs> Charlie, today your, because, your, <laughs> your credit hours will rise power. I'm telling you. My goodness. Because, uh, you know, we miss out on family time. We miss out on loving our partners, you know. We, we miss out on giving our family love. We miss out on doing homework with the children. We miss out on just being a family because you are talking about your business. And I think entrepreneurs are the worst. Those who work together... Like you're always, you know, it's difficult to differentiate you know, the work and then the home, and then it's as always in, as in like husbands and wives who yeah. are doing business together. Yeah, may the Lord forgive them. <laughs> and even those who have separate businesses, I entrepreneurs know. are always working. What I'm saying, may the so, Lord forgive them. My hand is pointing towards ah, my nose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it can get difficult. I, I can know. imagine that. But then, if you are not present, you are missing out. And when you are missing out, you are usually not productive. I like it. I, I think we should learn to be more present. To be present. Yes. When yeah. you are at church, put the phone down. Focus. Yeah, be present. Yes. I mean, I learned this from Jibodi Dosu sometime in 2017. I asked her whether it was possible as a, a working woman to have it all. And she said, nah, I don't think you can have it all. But if you can be present where you are while you are there, you can have it all there and have it all here and have it all here. While you are there, Enjoy give it, it your all. So that when you leave, you know that, hey, today I was very productive. That explains that sigh of relief when you finish the play. Yes. You give it your all. Give it your all. I love it. Because oftentimes when I'm on stage, my problems are still there. Like, I, th there was one time, in fact, before the first five hours with Mario play, I had just had a weird conversation with a friend. You know, that really got me. I was, I was a little, like, I was, I was very worried. I had a weird conversation with my friend. And it was just about five minutes before I had to give my phone and stuff away. Usually, I give everything away about... Three hours before the play, I wouldn't check my messages, nothing. But on that day, I was talking to this friend of mine. And just about five minutes before going, something, something happened. And I was thinking about it. But just before I went on, I just... Switched. I just... And I think it's something we, learn, we need to learn to do. Because your, your problems would always call you. But then if you're going to be thinking about the problems of here while you're here, 
then you will not be solving the problems that are here now. So be present. Be present. That's why I'm present and writing notes while you talk. So let's go <laughs> to number three. Okay, number three. Um, I recently did some work with uh, We Go Innovate, their practical STEM in, um, education platform, and I learned so much. So basically what they do is they teach children science, mathematics, engineering with practical examples. So you know how we learned in JHS that Diffusion is the moving of molecules from a level of lower concentration to a level of higher, higher concentration. Something, you remember that? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Osmosis, diffusion, they're all yeah. 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 So, so this guy and his team, what they do is they will come to the classroom and stand in one corner and spray a, a bottle of perfume in the corner. And then all the children will be, you know, in another corner. And then they'll ask you, can you smell it? Yes, we can. How is it that I sprayed it here? You can smell it all the way there. And they'll say, ah, we don't know. Then they'll explain to them, okay, diffusion this is moving from a level of lower concentration and then it diffuses into the atmosphere. I mean, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure about the science I'm saying, but basically... But there's a movement. You know, so then they get it. That, ah. So when they write the exams, they're able to write it with practical examples and they explain it without you and poor. And I thought, oh my God, this is so cool. So I was so happy to volunteer. I did the voicing for it. I, I, it was amazing. And I thought, why are we not teaching the children like this? Why are they doing chew and poor? They often say it's expensive to set up science labo laboratories in school. But this requires very little. This is not a full lab. They do full experiments and the children are using an empty big pen as a pipette. Or they cut like a vortex bottle in half. Yeah. And that's the beaker. They measure and put the, the marks on it. They, they don't use anything extraordinary. They use basic things in the environment to teach practical science. Now, this is like amazing. It teaches the children problem-solving skills because they know that, okay, without a science laboratory, I need to find another way to be able to have a beaker. So what do I do? Let me grab this bottle to use. They, you know, it, it teaches them how to think. It teaches them how to solve problems. And it teaches them practical science all at once. And I thought that was really amazing. And this is something I think that um, the government, the Ministry of Education, we as a people, private schools, should adopt in teaching. Because these, these children are going to be creative geniuses. And he does this only in government schools. And while I was volunteering with them, I know they did 100 um, government schools across the country from all regions. At the time, it was 10 regions before it became, you know. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. And it's something that we should take a little more seriously. So you're saying that be, not just for science, but for any kind of teaching. Any kind of teaching. We should find innovative, cost-effective, ways of practical ways of teaching. Yeah, and I lean more towards practical. Yes. My, my little sister went to volunteer. Well, she did her national service at a, a government school in um, Pukwase. Okay. And she told me the same thing. She said, when I'm teaching them, they don't understand. They just want to shoot and pour their notes, and I don't like it. So she started this initiative called How Smart Are You Today? Where basically, she brings all the children out, she gives them cool t-shirts, and she divides them into groups. And she tells them, show me practically how this or, or how, like, so in English, mathematics, in fact, every subject.
but you have to use a creative way to define all the terms in the subject. So even with addition, <laughs> instead of just one plus one is equal to two, you have to bring counters to show. You have to bring counters to do the long division. It sounds very basic, but I realize that every time she does it, it imprints the lesson better. And they do so well. Let me go to your fourth prescription. I, mean, I think I want to leave you your ideal guy now. What <laughs> 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 oh, with the fourth natural? Well, I think number four would be that entrepreneurs need a little more support. Mm. I don't know how we can support all entrepreneurs. And I don't think, that, I, I, I don't think you know, we can just give entrepreneurs money and ask them to you know, operate their businesses. But I appreciate what people like Ashesi University is doing, where they teach entrepreneurship. It's important, whether you intend to be an entrepreneur or not. You are, you are, you are taught how to be an entrepreneur. I've never attended any of their classes, but I've worked with a lot of students from Ashesi, and they're different. Because they, they actually, you know, they say the first rule of business is to find a need and meet it. Figure out a problem and solve it. So while we cannot provide money for entrepreneurs to go and whatever, I think we can teach. And so entrepreneurship teaching or lessons on entrepreneurship should be available to us at a very young age from, I don't know. I will tell you what, that's the part I was going to answer. Okay. Voluntarily, without you asking me. Exactly. And, and, and <laughs> when, you, when you got to the part that said at a very young age, my head just popped up because natural. Comfort and I really genuinely think that three things, entrepreneurship, talent development, and investment must be taught to children right from the basics, from class one. In, in what? Practical, innovative, and cost-effective ways. And they will learn it. You don't need to use any theory. You are so on point on that. So that will be your number four. And then number five, well, I'm biased towards the creative industry. If you had left it out, essentially, you there would be an little against you. I think, I think, I think that um, Albert, we are all creative people. Everybody has a creative gene in them. We just need to exploit and learning from examples from around the world. Investing in the creative space can be the thing that takes Ghana from where it is to where it can be. I mean. There's the Hollywood example, Bollywood example, and so on. I mean, America is great and all that, but we know Hollywood. We know about America because of Hollywood. We, we, know, we know things that are happening in America through their films and such. And so I feel that we need to give our creative space a little more attention. We see what things people like Black Sharif, um, the young music acts are doing. We watch Stoneboy and Sarkodie and how, because of their music, we are talking about Ghana on international platforms. We look at even the year of return and yeah. people coming in. It's because of our art and Afro Nation and Afro Cella and the music and so on. But somehow, I feel like we are not really tapping deliberately. If 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 a policymaker asked you, Nashako, I agree. What one thing should we do differently? One practical thing we could do. I think we should make Ghana a, a friendlier place for international opportunities in the arts. Um, for instance, I watched The Crown, the, the, the film about the British Crown, 
there was the famous um, visit to Ghana where the queen came to meet Nkrumah and they did that dance. It wasn't shot in Ghana. When I watched it, it wasn't shot in Ghana. I was looking forward to the scene and I realized it wasn't Ghana. They said it was Oxford Street and I said, no, this isn't Ghana. So I, I, did, I did a lot of research. I, went, I, I just went digging and asking about it. Then I learned a few things um, and I stand to be corrected. But among other things, coming to film in Ghana is not easy. To start with, even when you try to bring equipment in, when you get to the airport, you have to pay all sorts of, of monies. And um, people who have done this will tell you. Um, you, have to put, you have to put some money down, which sort of covers the cost of all that you're bringing in. And then when you're going, they're supposed to give the money back to you, but some people don't get their money back. And so it makes coming here with those equipments a little... Um, Challenging. Yeah, it's, 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 not, it's not something you want to do. Unlike South Africa, where apparently that scene was shot, where there, you know, there, there, there are no taxes, apparently, or, or not so much. If you're bringing in such equipment, if you want to film, you can just come and film. They're happy to have you. They make the... the um, it, it's a friendlier environment for the arts if you're coming in to film. If you want to bring in your equipment, they're happy to have you. You want to come and film, they're happy to have you. They encourage you to come, right? Unlike, unlike Ghana, I'm not sure what exactly the problem is. And I wish I could pinpoint. I wish I had the actual facts. But it's generally difficult to do it in Ghana without any hindrances. And so if a policymaker asked me, I'd say let's encourage international collaborations without very stringent or um, strict rules that make it too expensive to come here. 10 years from now, Nashville, what do you want to see in your own life to wrap up? Oh, I'm never able to answer questions about my personal future because every time I have thoughts about my future, when I look back 10 years ago, I didn't think that this would be my life. That's okay, it's allowed. So, I don't know. Um, I think in 10 years, when I think about my life, I just think about my children. I hope that I'm able to raise responsible boys and um, boys who would live well, um, boys who would respect women, boys who would be generational thinkers themselves mm. and will have good morals and um, boys I can be proud of. I'll tell you what, I, this last point resonated very much with me. My mom has been unwell um, recently, and I took time off to be with her while she was on admission. My brother and I, my brother Sam and I, were by her bed, bedside while she was on admission twice, two out. And yesterday, I, I, I went to sit with her and just sing to her. And while I, I, I just played hymns and worship music and sang to her. At a point, she lifted up her hand and laid it on my head. I'm a pastor. She laid her hands on my head and I said, wow, that's a big blessing. I, I think she just wanted me to know she appreciated that experience. So I can relate to you wanting your, your, your boys to grow up and respect and be relational. And, and that just came to my mind as he spoke. Now, it's been a very, very special experience having this, this conversation with you. I'm going to tell you what I've learned from you as I was present and listening. <laughs> First one is about immersion that you really put yourself into what you do and it sometimes demands even more before, during the build up and rehearsal than even on the stage itself. The whole period is part of the, 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 the immersion. The second thing I'm learning is about the phobias, that the things you fear 
conquer them because they really, I mean, only exist in your mind. The third thing I'm learning is about gratitude and grace. You count your blessings and they put in your life and you see yourself as a repository or a, a, someone who carries the grace of God upon your life. The fourth is about specificity. You say, be specific about what you want in life, in prayer, in job interviews, and even choosing a marriage partner. Know what you want and don't be vague or passive. The fifth is about greatness coming from confusion. I like it very much. When you're confused, you don't know. And so you explore more, and that opens your mind to learning and ultimately to greatness. You see, when you are sure, you can close your mind. On your ideal Ghana, the five things, the first one is very key, and that is about make, investing more in motherhood, um, women, and by extension, parenthood, and ultimately in the children because they get more attention. The second one is being more present. If it's at home, be present at home. If it's at work, be present at work. And I like the part that if it's at church, to be present at church. <laughs> the, the third one on, on the ideal Ghana is innovative, practical, cost-effective ways of teaching, especially science, to enable the children to first get the lesson and also inculcate problem-solving skills. The fourth is about entrepreneurs getting more support and we making the teaching of entrepreneurship more practical for our people. And then finally, you talk about investing the creative space and making Ghana a more friendly place for international collaborations. This ideal Ghana, I want to live in it. <laughs> so thank you for coming. And what will be your closing thoughts for your fans listening and watching you? Apart from seeing you at Tema on Valentine's Day. Oh, yes, come see me at, uh, on Valentine's Day in Tema, 7 p.m. sharp, Zoe Temple. Yes. Well, what can I say? It's been a very nice um, hour with you. Thanks. And... Um, Hey, just be the very best that you can be because you can't be that. Um, learn how to say no. It's okay to say no. If mm. you can't do something, please say no. Don't overexert. And maybe learn how to love yourself a little more. We don't do enough of that. And be present. And be present. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nashiko. Let's do this again Thank sometime. You, I look forward to it. All right. So this has been Springboard, your virtual university coming to you from the Springboard Racial Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, the enterprise group UMB Bank, with media support from a multimedia group and the graphic business. On Tuesday, one more reminder, go to the graphic business for a full transcript of this conversation. And let's have this big debate. Which of these lessons that Nashakwa shared from, let's start it, from immersion to phobias to gratitude to specificity to greatness, to people and motherhood, to being present, to innovation, to entrepreneurship, and to creative space. Which of these is your favorite and why? Let's have this big debate on social media. But till next week, when we come your way again with the Venture University, my name is Albert Okran, saying that God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you.
light has come. 